MNK Talk YA now presents Nevernight Part 2 of the Nevernight Chronicles by Jay Kristoff. Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week, we finished book one of the Nevernight Chronicles by Jay Kristoff. And the first one was called Nevernight. And we had a lot going on. I think I took more notes this week than I have, like, with almost any other <laughs> book. <laughs> Which I'm glad for because you send them to me to remind me, but I was also (laughs) like, I can't catch up as quickly as I usually do by refreshing myself on the notes. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot. There were so many twists. Um, I was even like trying to figure out where we ended last week and we ended at the masquerade where they're all allowed to go to this masquerade and they're told to enjoy themselves. And then what happens at the masquerade, Katie? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they they all get caught, basically. The invitations that they had disappear, and the Illuminati are attacking them all, and they're all trying to get out with their lives. But I also was like, how did... Okay, I didn't necessarily know exactly what was going to happen, but I knew something bad it was a trick or a trap. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would have been like more aware of exits and, like, I don't know. I sort of feel like they shouldn't have been so caught by surprise. Well, I didn't buy that the revered mother and all the teachers were going to grant them essentially a night off. Yeah. Which they didn't. They were like, never forget who you are. You never get a chance to breathe. Like, that was the whole point. Which, I'm surprised no one else caught on to that. If, like, you and me were slightly suspicious, everyone else was just like, ooh, pretty dresses. (laughs) Well, and again, just with their training, I feel like I'd be (laughs) super aware, again, of, like, exits and, like, things to ways to get out I think I would have bought it a little bit more if that had been like part of the thing the whole time like once you get to stage two we'll have a party or something like that right but it sort of felt like it came from nowhere and so I was like nope this is a trick this is a trap (laughs) what's gonna happen so one thing that I really liked about this half of the book was we get so many people's backgrounds yeah which I was like very pleased with because that's always like a sticking point for me if like we don't get characters' backgrounds. And we got to learn a lot more about Trick, where he came from, um, why he doesn't have the standard name of his people, um, why he's afraid of the dark. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah, because I actually want to clarify something. So we were, okay. we knew he was a child of rape from the first half because he mm-hmm. reacted really strongly to that name, or whatever right, that... Caffey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... And his, I'm still confused. So the assumption initially was that his dad was one of these Duamari pirates mm-hmm. who like raped someone who's not part of this group. But the reality was his dad, was his dad also a Duamari pirate or not? Or was he, um, who, I guess my question is who was his dad? So we find out that his mom was actually like a Duamari princess. She was a princess, yeah. But I was unclear who his dad was. And I realized he was still a bad guy. But I couldn't right. tell if he was, like, part of a rival clan or part of the same group or part of something. I, like, I was just confused. I don't think he was part of the Dway Mary. Okay. Is that how you say it? I thought he was an outsider. And that was the whole point of, like, he couldn't ever fully be Dway Mary, according to his grandfather. Okay. And that whole thing was, I mean, it's one thing 
for him to learn and I don't know who he, I guess he learned it through his grandfather that when he was born his mother took him to be named to like get the traditional name and she just named him drown him and be done mm-hmm. and then that whole thing with like his mother tried to do the, the right thing right like she left she was just like well if you're not gonna accept my son I'm leaving you all and she like tried to raise him but yeah. he was the one who like wanted to prove that he was still one of them so he like killed that sea, sea drake and brought it to his grandfather to like that was like the tradition that they had and his grandfather did not react very well uh that's an understatement uh (laughs) (laughs) he did pretty much the worst thing you can probably do and just like laughed at him mutilated him tied him up uh yeah blind or covered his face and had people like throw stones at him yeah hung him up in town basically so he was like praying for death i mean it's just like so crazy that someone would do that to someone who like that was your daughter's child i don't understand that at all I don't, I don't either. And I think, um, so while I did appreciate the backstory, it's not that I don't have any questions at all. And so part, so his mom passed away before he went back to, like, I'm kind of curious, which this wouldn't be, but like, so his mom had told him about this tradition, I think, about killing the sea creature, whatever they're called, Mm -hmm. the sea drake or whatever. So I'm curious, like, if she had been alive when he did this, if the grandfather would have reacted differently, or like, if there had been any interaction between them at all, because then we see, this is jumping way ahead, but hopefully you've finished the book if you're listening to this or else I'm about to major spoil. Mia and Trick had like a deal that they would help each other complete their revenge plan if the other person couldn't basically and Mm -hmm. Trick does end up dying which we can talk about more in a minute and at the very end Mia goes and kills the grandfather for him and but he's thinking to himself something about his daughter who he rejected right wasn't he thinking about Trick's mom? The grandfather was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it it is kind of interesting, I think. I wonder what things could have maybe gone differently, but they really, really, really didn't. (laughs) Or maybe he regrets what he did, but, you know, too bad, so sad. Too little, too late, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, he absolutely deserved what Mia gave him. Well, and it's not like he even just, like, laughed and rejected his grandson. He, yeah, took it, like... Almost killed him. 10,000 steps too far, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Which is, like, a horrible thing to do to anyone, let alone your grandson, let alone a child who's... An innocent child, yeah. Yeah, who's, like, following in the traditions of your people, and, yeah. And, like, trying to prove himself. Yeah. Oh, it was disgusting. It was. But it made... It did make Trick uh, more... Like, it gave him good motivation for why he was there and what he was doing. A hundred percent, yeah. And and I think, like, I was really curious, like, why he was so afraid of the dark. I was just like, what? what? Like, you're an assassin. Come on. Yeah. So I liked that we had an expl- explanation for that. I did feel, though, that all of the background stories were just a little unnecessarily dark. I don't know. Because, <laughs> like, we got Hush's backstory, which I appreciated, too. But, like... Okay, but what is a... <sighs> like, okay, these are, like, children who killed someone to go to assassin school to join, like, a dark... True, true. ...cult. So, like, I can't imagine a, like, happy story. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, it's not like someone's going to be like, oh, I, like, read a book about a really cool assassin, and I thought, when I grow up, I want to be just like him, and so that's why I'm here. Like, that's not very realistic either, is it? No, you're and you're right about that. I guess I just was like, if you pull someone's teeth out, have you ever seen someone, like, like a, your grandparents, like, when they don't have their teeth in? Like, you don't look attractive. You look like you have a caved-in granny mouth. <laughs> and so I was just like, okay, they pulled his teeth out, but he still works at a brothel and like, they want to keep him pretty. And I was just like, that, it, like, that doesn't add up to me. That just was like, 
an unnecessary detail to throw in for like shock value that didn't actually make sense and then that kind of like irritated me well I think it was unclear to me when the timing of his teeth being pulled out versus some of the other stuff happened versus when he escaped or whatever but I I guess so I guess I kind of agree I mean and it also sounds like an extremely painful terrible like there's easier ways to punish someone I don't know well also just like I don't know. The first time they even realized he didn't have teeth was, like, during the blood scourging. And I was just like, you would be able to tell if someone didn't have teeth. Like, that is a very obvious thing. I don't know. It was just like... Well, he never spoke at all. So maybe... Yeah, but, like, your mouth is caved in. Like, you don't look normal when you don't when you don't have teeth. But if your mouth is closed the whole time? I don't know enough. Yeah, I swear to God. Like, look up someone who, like, has... <laughs> took their false teeth out like it's unmistakable (laughs) maybe he put something in his mouth and we didn't know about it maybe okay i would maybe i would buy that anyway we get some backstories they're super dark but okay so this is kind of my question too because it seems like multiple people called out that mia was not dark enough almost for this group yeah and which i would beg to differ i know so i was kind of like Maybe one person saying it if they, like, knew one detail about her. But, like, I didn't really think it was, like, she obviously didn't belong. I felt like... I think it's it's not because she didn't have a brutal backstory. I think that, like, despite her brutal backstory, she still, like, clung to some humanity. Like, she was the only one who asked Hush if he was okay after the blood scourging. And, like, I think she really genuinely loved Ashlyn. And so I think she just had little... She showed little bits of herself where people realize that, like, despite what she's been through, she's actually so okay. still a compassionate person. So I buy Hush telling her that because of her being the only one to say something to him and them not being friends at all. But did Ashlyn not love Mia back? Was it all just a ploy? I think so. Because I sort of felt like she did care for her, and that's why she was, like, glad that she was getting out of there so she didn't have to, like, kill her or torture oh, her. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. And, again, I sort of felt like, well, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like Mia was so drastically different from everyone else. I think they were all kind of battling this humanity versus giving it up piece, and it didn't seem to me like she was obviously way different than the rest of them in terms of how she dealt with it. I would agree. Especially Trick. Like, I didn't think she was especially empathetic or anything. Yeah. Like, Trick, what I felt was, like, empathetic, too. Like, he cared about Mia... He was concerned about the people dying. And she was the one who tricked what's-his-name so that he poisoned himself. Yeah. Like, that's not in line. Like, I feel like that means you're assassin material. I agree. And she had a bad backstory. I mean, like, it wasn't like her life was a walk in the park. Like, we get her backstory a little bit more when she, like, goes to the philosopher's stone to try and free her mother. And her mother... The poor thing is like has gone mad and her she's and she thinks her brother is dead, but then we learn that he's really not. And she was the one who started the True Dark Massacre too, when she like brought down the Philosopher's Stone. Well, and it was confusing because her mom I couldn't tell how much was her mom being crazy and how much was her mom giving us some kind of clue to her background because it seemed like when she used her darkened mat I mean she was definitely going crazy also but when she was using her darkened magic around her mom her mom was like reject she like said something like you're not mine or you're not I I can't remember exactly what the wording was but I felt like she was like implying something about her background being different than she expected or thought or I don't know but I could be just making things up because her mom was also had been locked in solitary darkness for years. <laughs> well, I'm very curious to see if we see Mia's brother now. Okay, and then also, um, what's his name? The head of the place called her... Justicus Rima? Um, no, Scavia. No, the head of the church. What's his name? Cardinal Duomo. No. 
I'm kidding. just naming like all the people she has revenge against. Cass- Cassius. Oh, the head of Black Prince. Okay, yes. Yeah, sorry, the head of Bad Church or the Good Church, depending on how you look at it. But yeah. he he called her sister at one point too, didn't he? Right before. Ooh, whoa! Would you think Cassius? No, he's. It, it can't he's be, too, but it was confusing no. to me. So I was wondering if there was something with like I don't know. He's just, too. He would be too young. Just because they're dark and they're related, or if there is something about her background, so maybe it's a different brother, but maybe he's also her brother or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they had the same father. I don't know. <sighs> I don't even know where to, what to talk about right now because there's so I many know, things. I know. There's just so much going on. Okay. Um, okay, Cassius. Let's let's just keep going with Cassius because he is dead now and yes. she didn't get any answers. That's why I was like, oh, I, I was really like... She almost did though. She yeah. was so close. There's actually a lot of people who are dead now. I am... This is one time when I'm not like, oh, I hope more people die. Like I'm, ha- I'm happily... People have died. It's... But realistically bad were you happy with the people who died though i mean no i never like want i mean i think i am happy with the people who died really oh i'm gonna miss trick so much i mean i'm definitely gonna miss him but i think it was a good move i'm glad i think cassius dying was kind of an interesting good move yeah i didn't mind that i just i minded trick dying especially like being killed by ashlyn like a girl who you thought was your friends, like, ooh. But I also feel like that's, like, the proper motivation for Ashlyn to be the enemy from now on. Oh, I thought Ashlyn died. No, she ran away at the end. Oh, I thought the implication was that she ran away, but, like, all the teachers and the acolytes were, like, waiting for her. And they, like, but maybe you're right. Maybe she didn't survive. <laughs> I guess I could be wrong, too. I thought that she got away, and I was imagining that Ashlyn... Yeah, you're probably right. ...is mad at Mia because of her brother's death, and Mia's mad at Ashlyn because of Trick's death, and that, like, felt like a... But they used to be friends, and they, like, mm. went through the same training, so that felt like kind of in a... Like a well, good rivalry. I hope that she is alive because Mia pretty much killed everyone at the end. Like, she went on this huge rampage and she killed everyone she wanted to kill. There's still one left, right? Didn't she kill two of the three? Or did she kill all three of them? She kills Jessica's Remus. Mm-hmm. She, like, stabs him in the neck. Yeah. Um, I thought she killed the other one Which two. is also good because we got some... We got some closure. You know, I hate when, like, yeah. a book is too middle of the road-ish. Like, this felt like a lot, like, there's obviously more to come in a good way, mm-hmm. but it felt like it could also stand on its own, sort of. You have a lot of questions about big picture stuff, but this, like, yeah. Yeah, she killed the other guy. The, um... Kurt Scavia. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the Cardinal? Did she kill the Cardinal? I think there, yeah, I think she only killed two of the three that she was after. So I think, I think maybe he's left. Okay. It just started blurring because... Yeah. Because people were dying everywhere? <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Like, it, the end just... Okay, but I also loved... I didn't predict this out loud, but I did think it was interesting earlier on when we found out that Ashlyn and Osterich's father had been, like, mutilated at the hand of the church, or uh, in service to the church. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that he would send his children to, like, go through something similar. So I, like, I didn't suspect that he, he encouraged them to betray the church, but I did, like... Again, I don't think I said anything out loud, but did note that it, like, kind of seemed weird that, like, if he had such a horrible experience, why would he send both of his children to, like, follow in his footsteps? But it makes more sense now that we know he sent them to, like, take them down. Yeah, let's let's unpack that, though, because I was a little confused about that, too, because I thought that Ashlyn's father was a blade, right? Correct. And he was captured by the Illuminati and tortured by them, right? Yes. And then when he... And then, like, they just... 
church, I guess, decided that he couldn't serve. And so they ditched him and that was why he was mad at them? Well, I think he I think he was still kind of part of the group, but not a blade anymore. So I don't know if he was manning one of the tunnels or what, or not tunnels, but bloodbath things or not. But I think regardless, again, blame is an interesting thing, right? Jessamine blames Mia's dad, even though he wasn't the one who killed her father her and brother true so i think even if it was the illuminati who did it to him i don't know what mission he was on on behalf of the church Mm. but i think i think maybe there's some he wouldn't have been in that position if he wasn't working for okay i don't know and again that makes sense. i guess we don't know for sure but that's kind of how i was interpreting it and i just remember thinking like if this job got you killed or not killed got you horribly mutilated or you know horribly yeah tortured whatever yeah you know, why would you send your kids there? I just remember thinking that at one point, but with everything else going on, I kind of dropped it. And I did not think they were there for revenge. I just thought... Me either, because I thought the way the author presented it was so clever because they made mm-hmm. it seem like he endured this horrible brutality in service to the church, but was still so loyal to them that he, like, wanted his kids to go through that. And everyone in this book is crazy anyway, so, like, yeah. I bought it. And it was still... It was a big enough plot point that it wasn't like, oh, that happened, but it was a small enough plot point that it didn't seem like, why are they reminding us of this every five seconds? You know, it kind of felt like it was... It felt more like it was a service to Mia that she could get some input, even though she didn't know things, to have, like, someone who had been given more info from their dad. (laughs) Yeah, and and I love the way they... I mean, Ashlyn was still so driven... You know, like she yeah. really wanted to to win Mouser's contest, and and it, it made sense that like she was so driven because she wanted to replace her father, and then realizing at the end that it's actually to avenge her father. Like both motivations still hold up, which I I really liked that twist. I did not expect it at all. I liked it too, and I'm glad because you know how I don't I don't like when the bad guys we think at the beginning and the good guys. I like it when someone turns out to be either yeah. good, worse, or better than we expect at first. So Agreed. I was thinking it was going to be more on the Jessamine side that we'd find out Same that here. she was like way better, and she kind of they kind of had to reach a small. They teamed up at the end. Yeah, a little bit, but we'll see how that plays out once the crisis is over. But I was not oh, expecting gosh. one of the friends to become a bad guy. Me either. And especially like, I don't know. I mean, for her to like go to the extent that she did, like she killed Carlotta. She killed Flecha. Like she, she did so much brutal stuff. She was going to poison every single person in the red church. Like I just saw it. And and, I mean, her, just her acting skills, just to be there that whole time with that hatred inside of you and act like you wanted to be there. I can't imagine how hard that would be. Well, and that's why, again, I'm kind of, I'm curious to see, I hope she is still alive. I want to see this rivalry played out more and this piece of we were friends or like how much of the friendship was true or not. Because I think that she did, like Mia wasn't the enemy to her, I think. I think it was like Cassius and the the teachers. But yeah, how do you, I don't know. That's, yeah. And I hope we see her dad a little bit more. Me too, me too. Okay, do you want to talk about the rest of the trials? Okay, so yeah, Carlotta almost gets the poison trial and then she gets killed. We originally think it's Jessamine and what's his name? Dymo. Dymo. So Mia wants revenge on them because Carlotta was her friend. Mm-hmm. So then she fake solves it, hides the solution in her room and goes to sleep with Trick. That was so great. So that they would steal it and try it out. And she intentionally had something that would be like slow acting. So if they tested it on a mouse first, which they did, they wouldn't know that it would also killed them. So, and again, I, this is another time when I was sort of like, why are her friends so mad at her for doing, like, wasn't Trick really mad at her? 
or like really yeah. disappointed in her. And I was kind of yeah. like, I don't get it. Like she did, she didn't even kill him. I mean, yeah, she set him up, but he like totally walked into that. Yeah, I, I almost kind of feel the same way. Like you're in this situation, you know, people are gonna die, and I and like, I mean, I guess it was a harsh punishment, but like he's someone who was gonna like steal her stuff and like take credit for her work. I know. That's I. I think he kind of got what he deserved. I do too. <laughs> like it wasn't like she like handed it. Like she didn't make it super super easy or obvious. She definitely like tempted him but she let him hurt himself he crossed a line yeah she didn't like i feel like it would have been like way worse if she had like i don't know like i feel like there's way worse ways to handle it i feel like he kind of deserved it and i again in the school of assassins i was like trick how come you're so upset about her heartlessness (laughs) exactly and mia like played it super well because like Mm-hmm. She totally acted all surprised that, he, you know, he broke into her room. And I love that she had been faking it with Stolas in the um, training arena, too, where oh, she yeah. pretended to be, like, a weakling. And then when she's finally, like, matched up against someone in the trial, she, like, destroys them all, including Jessamine, which is great. Yeah, I'm glad she got that revenge, kind of. I guess the one thing, though, where you said you don't know if Mia was... Like, you feel like Mia belonged with the rest of them. She did let Trick win. Well... Which I don't know if... Uh, you know, like... Again, I don't know if she let him win or if she just didn't take complete advantage to win herself. Because I think what she did, and she said it at one point too, is she was like, I made you fight harder. Yeah. And so I don't think she, like, made a stupid mistake and lost. But I think, obviously, if she hadn't been taunting him, she would have. But I think, again, they both had romantic feelings for each other, even if she was in denial about it. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like to make it fair, she almost needed to taunt him. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess so. But she also let him win or encouraged him to win before she had cracked the poison code. Like, she hadn't yeah. solved Spider Killer's thing yet, so she was, like, essentially giving him an opening to be a blade while she was not yet guaranteed that position. Yeah, but again, that's where I think even if she was in denial, she did she had developed true feelings for him. Yeah. And I kind of think I could have seen it going the other way, too. I could have seen him doing something like that for her. True. But Trick also kills an innocent kid at the end, like, passes last trial which I honestly did not think he was gonna do that like that's the last child that like Mia fails because they like bring out this little kid and they're like okay your last child is you have to kill an an innocent because you might have to kill an innocent in your course of duty and like Trick goes ahead and does it yeah but he was also gone for a long time and haunted when he came back and again he had nothing I don't know it's just it's so yeah I'm surprised, but I, I I don't know. I don't know how to explain how I'm feeling. I was just surprised, but yeah. I was surprised by that too, but I'm glad Mia didn't. I mean, for many reasons, I'm glad Mia didn't choose to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And then, oh, the last bit of the trials that I thought was really fascinating was um, Ashlyn ends up losing Mouser's contest to Hush because oh, yeah. he gets the revered mother's I saw that coming though. Did you? Yeah. Well, just because he was always like lurking in the background and swiping stuff and it was too, she was set up too well. I was like, this is, especially when they said it was within 90 points and knowing that the queen Mm. or the mother, the key was a hundred points. I was like, oh man. But I I didn't think it was going to be, I didn't think it was going to be already switched out. I thought he was going to steal it like at the last minute, but. Oh. And do we know what secret Ashlyn gave? No. I know. Because Ayla didn't really reveal that. And I was like, there's no way she's going to go out and get the best secret on the last night she has left to try. So I really wanted to know what that secret was. I wonder if it had something to do with her alliance with the, like, Illuminati and stuff. If she was like, I need something good. 
I don't know. Like, instead of just plying a secret out, if she needed, if she, if they, like, gave her, even if it was a fake secret or whatever, but something so that she could get to that level, thinking they'd capture everybody. But then wouldn't Ayla have warned everyone? I mean, not saying, not that the secret was, I'm saying she could have got, like, they could, she could have gone to them and said, I, I don't know if I'm making sense. Someone okay. here. Ashlyn is. could have gone to the, because Ashlyn was the one who got the secret, right? So she could have gone to someone in the Illuminati and said, I'll get you guys in, but first I need a good secret. Oh. And then, or I don't know. I don't know. Gotcha. Maybe not. But I agree. I, I am very curious of what the secret could have been. And I even want to know the secrets that didn't make it. I'm just curious. That was such a cool idea. I know. They're going to stay a secret, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> oh, man. I'm trying to think what else. Um. <laughs> There was just, like, so much crazy little things going on. Like, when Mia is going to the library to try and do research oh, yeah. on, like, what Darkens is, and there are bookworms in the library that eat people. <laughs> I loved that. And we found out the librarian wasn't even alive. Right! Oh my god, I forgot! Chronicler <sighs> is dead. But um, that made me think of, like, I kind of want our fan name to just be bookworm. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I just thought that was so funny. And again, I loved how there were all these little details and things connected really well because, um, so then Mm -hmm. when Mia does uncover the the plot and comes back to try to help, Mm. she like lures a bunch of people into the library and basically feeds them to the bookworms. Feeds them to the bookworms, I know. They were like, (laughs) oh my gosh, it reminded me of the big sand snakes in Beetlejuice for some reason. I don't know why that's like... (laughs) what came to mind but that's what I was imagining and then oh I love when she was chasing down the caravan like when Remus escapes with Cassius and the others and she uses her shadows to conjure the sand krakens Mm -hmm. and then she gets like stranded in the desert and then her horse her back of the horse finds her again like they were just like great moments of humor interspersed with this too which I appreciated I agree yeah everything really it was a really I felt like it was a long book with a lot going on but I didn't feel super confused at any point if anything I kept being like oh wow nice how did I not see that yeah mm -hmm. yeah which is just I really appreciate because like we said a lot of times we can predict things or or whatever but everything I felt like made sense in hindsight but I didn't Mm -hmm. get it all going forward Agreed. And the only questions I really have had left was um, things that only Cassius, I guess, could have told us. Like, I wanted to know why she felt sick around Cassius and why he said he felt hungry around her. Yeah. And I just, I want to learn more about the darkened people in general. Well, what was the, like, legend she, un- or the journal she found at the end that the librarian sent Yeah, her? with Cleo, the first Starkin. Yeah. I'm, I think we'll probably learn more about that. And it sounded like the moon landed where the god's grave is, which literally looks like the skeleton of some giant creature. So, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I think everything's going to connect eventually. But I, what I like is, I agree, there are still questions, but Mia also has, it's not like everything got wrapped up and we're like, wait, how did that work? It's like... Right. Okay, okay, there's stuff that we still need to discover, and we're not sure why, but I, like, trust that we will learn. Me too. And it made me, like, so ready for the next book, because, like, we got closure here. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost a bunch of characters, but we still have enough to make it interesting moving forward. She still has good motives. She has a new shadow wolf now. She took Cassius to shadow wolf. So. Well, and even Ashlyn using the... Uh, Trinity. Yeah, the Trinity against Mia. I was waiting for that to happen once we realized Ashlyn mm-hmm. was the bad person, which again made me think that they were kind of friends. Like there was some true friendship there because she didn't... She like tried not to kill her first. I don't know if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. But... Can't wait for them to meet up later. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen in the next book? 
Oh my gosh. I think she's going to meet her brother. Okay. Well, I don't know because we have three books. <laughs> Is she going to meet more Darkin? Yeah. Yeah, I think she's going to go seek out other Darkin like herself. Because now she's a blade, right? Because Cassius anointed her with his blood right before he died. So she is a blade. But doesn't it seem like some people don't think she deserves to be a blade? I wonder if there'll be more internal politics around that. I don't know. I mean, she saved everyone's life. Yeah, but she couldn't kill an innocent. I feel like... She killed a lot of other people, though. So maybe that should make up for it. Yeah, she killed... And I'm sure maybe some of them were innocent. Like <laughs> That's fair. They were just following you know, orders and didn't know exactly. any better. Yeah. So I feel like she's going to get answers about the Darken. I feel like she's going to try and get revenge against Ashlyn. Okay, so here's the other thing. So I think I think Trick is dead. But he did just kind of like fall into an abyss and we never uncovered his body. Do you think there's any chance that he is not dead? Oh, maybe we learned that like Ashlyn didn't really kill him completely or somehow the Weaver got to him first. Good question, because I kind of want Mia to have another love interest, and I really, I really liked Trick. Like, I'm not, I'm not done with him yet. I know, I felt like there was still a lot to unpack in their relationship, too. And they had some really steamy sex scenes, holy shit. Yeah, this maybe is not young adult. (laughs) No, 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 no. You said you were, like, reading it on a plane and, like, having to hide it. Oh my goodness, I was so embarrassed, even though no one was looking at my book, but I was still like, oh my goodness, they're gonna realize what I'm reading, and I didn't mean to. That's like, have you ever heard the story about Allison's mom? She was like flying somewhere and she was talking to the man next to her and she realized that he was a priest. And then she was super self-conscious because the book she brought to read on the plane was Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) And she was just like, well, this is awkward. I'll be honest. The times when I wish I had a Kindle are usually if I'm reading a book where the cover makes me embarrassed. Like, for the most part, I can, like, hide the word, you know, I'm not, but, like, Fifty Shades of Grey, I think I did read on a Kindle. (laughs) I did, too. Because I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, have that on the train, and I don't know. (laughs) I don't need this image to be projected to the rest of the world. Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, did you do any research this week? Yes, but it wasn't great. So, we learned about, in one of the footnotes, the scab dogs, which are those creatures that basically, like, bite themselves, which, and end up with all these scabs, which is why they're called Mm -hmm. scab dogs, to lure other creatures to feed on them, thinking that they're injured and dying, and then, like, at the last minute, they kill the prey, or, yeah, kill the Mm -hmm. predator, Um, and this was kind of a reoccurring theme throughout this book, too, with Mia kind of hiding her abilities and appearing weak, and then, like, surprise, I actually am not... So I looked up some deadly tricksters in the animal world. Oh, I love it. So a lot of them are fish and reptiles that use parts of their body to look like worms, which was kind of interesting. But, so there's this snake. It's part of the viper family, I think. It's called the cantil, and it's in Central America and Mexico. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, super venomous, so their bite causes like renal failure, hemorrhage, all kinds of stuff. But they'll basically if you get bit by one, you're probably gonna die in a few hours unless you get immediate oh medical attention. And they feed Spider killer, where are you? They don't usually like attack people, but they usually use it when they're feeding. So they feed on small animals, uh, things like birds and frogs and small mammals. So mm. they're not very fast. So like cobras and mambas are pretty fast snakes. These ones have short, heavy bodies and they can't chase very well. So they have to lure their victims into attack range. So at the end of their tail, they have a bright yellow or whitish 
piece like at the very end and they can move oh. their tail so that it looks like it's a wriggling worm. Oh, it's so smart. So yeah, basically most of their prey feed on worms and they like make, they like lure them in with their tail and then they strike with the venom at the last moment and that's how Do they- Do they ever get their tails bitten off though? Um, it didn't say yes or no to that. Because it'd be cool if it could grow back. That would be cool. I feel like... I'm just going to add that superpower that I wish they had. Okay. Let's say they have it because that just <laughs> okay. sounds cool. That's, that's a good enough reason, right? Yeah. And then have you ever seen a picture of an alligator snapping turtle? Yes, actually I have. They are so ugly. Yeah, they're hideous. So yeah, it's a freshwater turtle in North America that can get up to 100 kilograms and they have like extremely sharp jaws but again they're not very fast chasers so they lie motionless in the water to look like a rock with their jaw open so they're just sitting there with their jaw open and their tongue has it's described as a fleshy appendage that looks much like a worm so and they can move it like on its own also worm-like so they just sit there with their mouth open moving their tongue and then different like smaller fish and frogs and turtles and stuff often think it is a worm and will get close enough and then and bite their tongue yeah or so then the gator will jaw snap them when they're close and they have such a strong jaw that it usually instantly kills their prey that's so lazy but so smart well, this is what most of these, the, these like, trickster animals do. They're like, basically, how do I get people to come over here so that I don't have to chase them? But it's so cool that, like, they evolved that way. You know, like, yeah. their bodies knew that they couldn't keep up, so they were like, well, we gotta, we gotta eat. What are we gonna do? We're gonna grow a worm tongue. Yeah, it's so funny. And, like, even the similarities across different, like, types of animals and, you know, a snake and a, like, turtle thing in the water and different parts of the world. And I don't know, it's just kind of cool. So then the... The Wobegong. Have you ever heard of Ooh. that? No, but that reminded me of the Wobegotten from Daughter of Smoke and Bone. What was that in Daughter of Smoke the and Bone? The angels. The angel, bastard legion of angels were called uh, the Wobegotten. I forgot about that. Anyway. <laughs> well, it means shaggy beard in some Aboriginal Australian language. Oh. But it is a shark that is also slow moving and therefore doesn't chase its prey. I think I really identified with some of these animals because <laughs> I think I'm like way smarter than I am like fast or phys- like if I was an animal, I would try to trick things into coming to me so I could eat them instead of chasing them. Like that would be me as an animal. See, I feel like the opposite. I feel like my brain would not be good enough, but I could probably outrun them. <laughs> I can't run at all. You know, I've like told you, I think I'm like, if I was being chased, I would probably just be like, okay, you win. <laughs> Here's my wallet. Well, if I had to rely on my brain, I'd be like, yeah, I'm done for. (laughs) I I would fall for that worm tongue every time. (laughs) Well, yeah. I don't know that I would outsmart other people who were predatoring on me, but I could outsmart prey that I was trying to catch if I had time to, like, think up a plan. Yeah, I totally think you could, too. (laughs) Okay. But, so they, they basically do something similar. So they have a fleshy appendage by their mouth that helps break up their silhouette, which improves that they're camouflaged, but it also will lure fish and animals into their reach. And they can flick their tail in a certain way that also looks like it's a separate smaller fish. So they'll try to bring things into attack range. Or this is specifically the tassel bobagong does this. And I guess they're extremely flexible, so when it gets close to their tail, they can easily turn around in a fraction of a second and devour any fish that tries to take a closer look. That's how it's defined. That's cool. So, yeah. Wasn't there an animal that um, pretends to be injured and, like, flails around and then attacks? I remember reading about that somewhere. 
I'm sure there are. I did not read about that one in particular, but that sounds a lot like the scab dog, really. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So the green heron will also lure fish into attack range, but it doesn't have a worm-like piece on its body to to catch it. So it's been known to just drop small objects on the surface of the water and fish (laughs) will come and, you know, check out if it's something edible and then they'll eat them. And for some reason, not all green herons do this, but those who do... That's super smart. ...will, like, experiment with different types of bait and they've, like, been seen stealing bread that people are feeding ducks at ponds and then bringing it out and using it as bait and... Sometimes herons will capture small fish, and instead of eating them, they'll lure bigger fish with them. So it's just kind of interesting, like, how smart some of these animals can be, too. Uh, There's the spider-eating assassin bug. Have you heard about that? No, that sounds terrible. Yeah. And terrifying. So I guess it's that. Spider-eating assassin bug? Assassin bug? assassin bug. They're among the deadliest predatory insects. And they all use different types of techniques to hunt. So some assassin bugs will pretend to be ants to eat real ants. Others do different <laughs> kinds of camouflage and stuff. But so the one that feeds on mostly spiders, basically when this bug finds a spider web, it'll use its own legs to tap into the silk threads, sending vibrations that are similar to those produced by an insect that's stuck in the web. Uh, that's so, the, so smart. That's I know. Insane. So that so yeah, it like so then the spider comes out because it feels the vibrations and thinks it's going to eat dinner, but it gets ambushed and killed by this assassin bug. Oh my god. This, this, this is a funny analogy. It says, it's just as if someone knocked on your door and said it's the pizza delivery guy. You open the door, your mouth watering in, in anticipation, only to be paralyzed and devoured yourself. <laughs> it's just so smart that it learned to observe like what attracts yeah, like how it knows what kind of vibration, you know, that it's not yes. just like another animal walking or another bug walking on it, but that it like acts like a bug that's trapped in the web. Whoa. Um, there's the Cody Mundi, which is a relative of the raccoon found in Mexico, Central and South America, who are very smart. And although they mostly feed on things like eggs and fruits and insects, they have really powerful claws and really large fangs. And sometimes <clears throat> they'll hunt larger animals as a group. So oh dear. one of their favorite meals, I guess, is the green iguana. And usually green iguanas, I guess, are found in trees. So what they will do is they'll like get a team of these coati mundi things together. And some of them will climb the trees to try to scare the iguanas into leaping to the ground where the rest of the mm. group can capture them. Okay. And I guess I didn't know this. Iguanas are like, they're instinctively, their instinct when they're scared is to leap to the ground when they feel threatened. So it's like a really simple, effective trick that these... This but that's... Aren't there more predators on the ground, though? Well, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. So for whatever reason, the iguanas have de- or developed... That's how they react. So they send, like, one in their group up to scare the iguana, and then the rest are waiting at the bottom to eat it. Oh, oh, oh. Gotcha. That's, very, that's like raptors in Jurassic Park. <laughs> I don't know why. That's, like, reminded me of it. Like, one's hiding and one's attack. Yeah. Well, that's what a lot of, I guess, preying animal hordes do, you know, is, like... Yeah, how do you separate one out or, like, trick them into going where the rest of you are or whatever? Okay, and this is... Teamwork. This one was also really interesting. So, fireflies have light-producing ability, right? We know this. And most Mm -hmm. of what the light patterns are for are to attract mates or otherwise communicate with the rest of their people. So, there's this... uh, It's called the 
photonus firefly and the female photonus have really short wings and can't fly, but the males can. So during mating season, the males fly around trying to attract females with their lighting and females on the ground watch the males and respond with their own flashes. And each firefly species has its own flashing pattern. So males can usually tell if their potential mate is part of their species or not. But then there's this photurus firefly which spies on females of other species and mimics their flashing patterns to attract unsuspecting males. So basically, it's like, hi, I'm I'm interested in you. I'm a girl in your group. But when you land, you're like, nope, I'm a murderer. And then you eat the man. Whoa. Yeah. Talk about ghosting. That's not even ghosting. That's catfishing. Yeah, right? Talk about catfishing. Yes. (laughs) Ooh, that's like, that's so weird that like, that's something humans do too. It's known as the femme fatale firefly. And I guess, so the photonists, the ones that get eaten, have mm-hmm. a certain chemical substance that helps protect them from birds and spiders that the photurists, the ones who do the eating, don't have. But when they eat the males, they like acquire that chemical defense as well, which is kind of cool. The dangers of sex. <laughs> so I guess they're... In ancient Rome, there was this belief in the monster called the Crocata. It was said... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it was said to be, like, a wolf-like beast that would mimic human speech and would hide Mm -hmm. near villages and, like, call someone's name to lure them into the woods to eat them. I was going to make that one of the apparitions in my story, Katie. Oh, yeah? It's... Yeah. It's... I... I, It sounds really cool. So, Mm -hmm. I guess the most similar animal in real life, it would be considered the hyena because they can make some human-like sounds, although they don't obviously mimic speech and so the hyena scientific name is actually like named after that monster but um it was recently discovered that the margay which is a like small arboreal feline in mexico and south america has the ability to mimic the calls of baby monkeys in distress so they will make that sound and attract adult monkeys who they can then eat whoa and I guess... Oh, because the monkeys are, like, they have that instinct to, like, protect other orphans that aren't their own. Yeah, and then... They're their own baby, yeah. So scientists discovered this while doing research in Brazil, but the, like, native people in the area told the scientists that they can imitate other sounds as well. So they'll Im- imitate the tinamu, which is some flightless bird, and some mm-hmm. large rodent called the agoti, and... The same group of people also claim that pumas and jaguars can use vocal mimicry to hunt occasionally. So, oh. and in India and Siberia, it's been reported that tigers will mimic deer calls to lure deer calls. to lure other deer. I can't imagine a tiger sounding like a deer. I know. I really want. I should have listened to some audio files yeah. of this. Yeah. So basically, the margay is like a good example that while cats are known for being like good hunters and fast and you know physical agile Mm -hmm. creatures um they also have vocal manipulation which indicates a psychological cunning that merits further study according to this but they can't mimic humans yeah i would say but yeah thank god oh my god (laughs) so it's just kind of interesting every i mean like you know we had a bug example a bird example a fish example a snake example a A mammal mammal so just like all all animal groups do it yeah i mean it's it's not. I, I think it was a really cool thing to use in this book too. This idea of playing up your weakness or mm-hmm. faking a weakness, basically, and then taking advantage of your strength. So absolutely, get people to underestimate you, yeah. and they won't suspect. That's my plan. A- anyone who thinks I can't do anything, that's my plan. I really can do everything. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really can't. I'm not fanning anything. <laughs> I can't really either. But it's a good story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
So what did you research? I love that. That was so good. Um, okay, so when you were talking about the femme fatale lightning bugs, that just made me think of like bad things that happen to you because of sex. <laughs> <laughs> and that reminded me of my research because the one thing that like didn't irritate me, but I found like a little hard to believe in this book was so Trick and Mia see what happens to Hush yep. when he's caught after nine bells, and it's horrific. Yep. And they still risk being caught and being blood scourged to be with each other, to like sleep with each other. And they get caught. And they have that horrible scene where I don't know where you go from like 25 lashes to 100 all of a sudden. That was insane. Yeah. But they like split it between them and it was an awful scene. And I was just so incredulous that someone would risk so much just to be with the person they love. Maybe that makes me sound really jaded or maybe that just makes me sound like someone who's been married for a while. But like, <laughs> I I just couldn't see, I couldn't understand. So I started researching. I mean, they are 16-year-old hormones, I guess. Yeah, I know, but still like, well, I would never have done that. I don't know about you, but I, I would not have done that. I mean, I don't think I would have either, but I do think... It was more believable that they, because they were like right down the hall from each other and she could do her like shadow jumping thing or whatever. I think it was more believable that they just go into one of each other's rooms than like they'd be roaming the halls. Like I would have been shocked if they went out for real after curfew and like roamed the halls or like went to the library or something. I guess so. I was just shocked in general. But then I started researching the most risky things people have done for sex (laughs) and it took me to this incredible story that I'm so excited to share with you. I am so curious. Okay. (laughs) So this is the story of Horace Grizzly, who died on February 4th at the age of 91. He has a world record that's unique among POWs of the Second World War. So he escaped a Nazi POW camp 200 times. What? Just to pursue the girl he fell in love with. Oh my goodness. So who did he fall in love with? Let me tell you this story. Yeah, I need to know everything. Okay, he was um, from the Czech Republic. He was a hairdresser. He was 20 years old. Hitler invaded his country and he had to enlist in the army. Okay. Unfortunately, he was captured by the Nazis and he was immediately taken prisoner and it was on his very first mission and he was sent to a POW camp in Poland. Bummer dude. I know. So what happened was while at this camp, he encountered the 17-year-old daughter of the director of the marble quarry. So he basically fell in love with a guard's daughter. Her name was Rosa Roschbach. Roschbach? And they fell in love. How did they even... So were they like talking or did he just think she was hot? They were talking. So they um, essentially conducted their affair in broad daylight under the noses of the German guards. And like she was a daughter of a German guard. He was a prisoner in the camp. Mm -hmm. Like this would have ended very badly. But they met for a year like having these secret trysts in this camp and then they transferred him to another camp and um a camp that was part of auschwitz and it was 40 miles away 40 miles away unrelated like not because he got caught just because they transferred no, him he okay. was just transferred yep. right but he decided that he couldn't let distance keep him from his beloved rosa so he tunneled under the fence of his camp and got out of a, a concentration camp and Instead of, like, walking to a neutral country... Yeah, hightailing it out of there, yeah. He walked back to his old camp and broke in to see her. Oh my goodness. To have sex with her. And then he would sneak out again and go 40 miles back to his other camp 
And he snuck in and out of these camps three times a week for five years. How, what? Uh, I have no words. I just, how long did that take to go 40 miles back and forth and spend time? That's the one thing I didn't understand because like, that's a long way to walk. That's like, a. I don't know how he did this without like people discovering he was gone. Three times a week seems really, really well, and frequent. From most of what I know about people who were in work camps back then, you were like work to the boat. Like you didn't have energy to just like walk 80 miles at right. night. You don't have the stamina yeah. to like, that's what it says. Um, and it said that Rosa provided small food parcels and equipment for him to take back into the camp. Um, she also snuck him radio parts, which allowed the prisoners to keep up with the news by listening to the BBC. And they never caught him. Wow. He was set free when World War World War Two ended. Um, the camp was liberated. Did they get married? No, it doesn't have a happy ending. Oh, no. So he was liberated and and went back to Britain. And when he got there, he received news that Rosa had died giving birth to a baby, and the baby died too. And he said he was never certain whether or not the child was his. Did she like get married, or he just? Why would he not think it was his? I think I don't. I don't think she was married. Okay. I mean, you would. Th- I mean, I. I was gonna say that's also impressive. Three times a week for five years while you're sneaking around to not get pregnant. Yeah, really. I thought for sure <laughs> she was gonna get pregnant and he was gonna get caught. I just thought that was like such a fascinating story. I also feel like couldn't you, even if you like love this person, figure out a way to be together without going back to your camp? <laughs> Like, couldn't she have broken out of her camp and, like, they met somewhere in the middle and, like, ran away to safety together? <laughs> exactly. I think that's a much more romantic, happy story. They did mention that um, where the camp was, it was, like, so far away from a neutral country that the guards pretty much were under the impression that, like, anyone who was stupid enough to try to escape was, like... Yeah, they weren't worried about it. ...basically trying to kill themselves. Uh-huh. Yeah, they were just, like, there's no way. Um, so maybe that's why they, they were a little bit lax, but, like, it still is like an insane story it is insane well especially if she was like a free citizen you would think she i don't know i feel like they could have thought this through in five years a little bit better maybe like at the beginning but i agree i agree Jeez, louise (laughs) well if people will do that then i definitely find mia and trick reliable yeah they'll risk a little blood (laughs) scourging to be with each other well and again they didn't really get caught they like True. Turn themselves in. They confess. Yeah. Yeah. Because, so, but just the risk of getting caught, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not a risk taker. I'm a rule follower. And that like really made me nervous for them. I mean, I'm a rule follower too, I guess. But at least one of the times he was like, he wasn't really given permission to go to her room, but he was out and about after hours in a legal way. So True. I feel like if you snuck into a different bedroom to someone who wasn't going to tell and you're just in the, and you stay in the room, I don't know. I feel like it's risky, but not. So, like, I think that I could see these assassin people thinking they could get away with it. Yeah, I think you'd have to be. You'd have to be pretty sure of yourself. Well, if you can jump from shadow to shadow. Yeah, having superpowers would help. (laughs) So, this is mostly unrelated, and this has nothing to do with love. But (laughs) in camp, I went to camp in D.C. in high school. And on Sunday, it was like a three-week nerd camp, basically. It was a, I was studying foreign policy at Georgetown. But we were supposed to, like, stay on the premises, but we could, Sunday we had, like, no class. So as long as we were back by curfew, we were allowed to, like, explore D.C. But I decided that I really wanted to go see a show on Broadway while I was on that, in that part of the country, I guess. I don't know. So we, like, 
woke up super early and just pretended we were going to DC, got on a train, went to New York, saw a Broadway show, got back oh on the train, God. picked up food on the way and like made it just in time for curfew and never told anyone at camp that we like left. Like we, again, we were allowed to be. <gasps> That's so ballsy. I know. It was like, the, I felt really rebellious, but technically I didn't break any official rules, but I did break like the spirit like, they didn't tell us we couldn't leave the yeah. city, but I feel like that was implied. Just yeah, yeah. I went with two friends, oh, and it was awesome. I think, <laughs> but that's what I just thought of. But it, it was just for a Broadway show, so maybe I would do, I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you were sneaking out to have sex in the Broadway show. And the consequences I don't think would have been being whipped. I think maybe I have to, like, <laughs> not go to a party or something. I don't know. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, do we want to talk about the next book? Yes, let's do it. Okay. I'm so excited. So it is called God's Grave. God's Grave. Ooh. Do you want to read the inside cover so we know what it's about? Yes. Okay. okay. <clears throat> I should have read it ahead of time, but I did not. We never remembered you. <laughs> I guess it's we better for our predictions. Maybe this will already say I'm True. completely wrong. Yeah. Okay. In a land where three suns almost never set, a relentless assassin continues her quest for revenge against the powers that destroyed her family in book two of this epic fantasy trilogy. Mia Corvair has found her place among the blades of Our Lady of Blessed Murder, but many in the Red Church hierarchy think she's far from earned it. Plying her bloody trade in a backwater of the Republic, she's no closer to ending the men who destroyed her familia. In fact, she's told directly that Council Skeva is off-limits. But after Mia has a deadly confrontation with an old enemy, her suspicions about the Red Church's true motives begin to grow. When it's announced that Skeva will be making a rare public appearance at the... So you still I know. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. I guess he's not dead. At the conclusion of the Grand Games in God's Grave, Mia defies the church and sells herself to a gladiatorial collegium for a chance to finally end him. Oh, I love that. Upon the sands of the arena, Mia finds new allies, bitter rivals, and more questions about her strange affinity for the shadows. But as conspiracies unfold within the collegium walls and the body count rises, Mia will be forced to choose between love and revenge and uncover a secret that could change the very face of her world. Wow. I'm going to research gladiators. Okay. Actually, I think I already did research gladiators for something. I'm going to do it again. So so Skeva is, the, is still alive, and he's the one who is alive. Okay. And it does yeah. sound like the churches maybe not have the same goals that Mia has. But it sounds like they do accept her now. Yeah, but it sounds... So she got... Plying her with plying her bloody trade in a backwater of the Republic. I feel like she got like short into the stick, but she still got the Maybe, stick yeah. or something. Well, I guess we'll find <laughs> out more. Um, what are we gonna read up to? Let's read up to chapter eighteen, Gloria. Ooh, I can't wait. Okay, do you have a joke for me this week? Oh my goodness, that's what I forgot. Okay, I have my joke book though. Let's see, Dad, why do you like bad jokes? Um, uh, because they're funny, son. I don't know. That's just how I roll. Get it? Like, I roll. E-Y-E. Oh, my God. <laughs> Got it. That was kind of dumb. Uh, uh, let's see. I like word puns. Why is there no gambling in Africa? I don't know. Too many cheetahs. <laughs> I could have got that one if I thought of it. Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> That's a good one. Did you hear koala bears aren't really bears? No. <laughs> Yep, they don't have the qualifications. <laughs> these are these are set up like they're not really questions that you can answer. I don't know. I should I should read through them first, I guess. Anyways, there's some jokes I for like you. That. Oh, that was good. Um, if anyone else wants to send us a dad joke or weigh in on their thoughts about the Nevernight book, the first book in the series, you can what what they would risk to meet their significant other. Oh, yeah. That would be a good thing to tell us this week. Tell us 
what you would risk in order to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can do that by emailing us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. Or on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.